All right. Well, we're returning again to the book of Hebrews, and so you can open your Bibles or your phone and, and turn to Hebrews 13.4. We're looking at one whole verse this week in Hebrews, and uh, it's taught us a lot about who Christ is and what He's done, and now as we go, have been in chapter 13, He's giving us practical instructions about how we live a life of worship in response to the gospel of what we've heard about Christ. In fact, he said that in verse 15 and 16 in chapter 13, that through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, which is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name, doing good, and sharing what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And our, what we're looking at this morning is that the author of Hebrews is going to call us to worship God with the way we honor God in our marriages and the way we conduct our sex lives. And so let's hear verse 4 here as we get into this. <clears throat> it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Okay, as we get into this, I want you to see, these are instructions for Christians, right? He's saying, I, wa I want this to be, marriage to be held in honor among all, and I want you to be sexually pure Christians. He's writing to the church in Rome made up of Jewish background believers and Gentiles that have come under the lordship of Christ. And he's saying, how you conduct your life in this area will be worship to God or not, Okay. And so you may look at this and go, well, come on, how come we got to talk about this again? Right? Why does the church always talk about sex and different things? And it's because of this, that, that how we do this will bring worship to God or not. It will reflect the gospel to the world or not. This is one of those things that, that is worship that as we do this well, it shares the gospel with the wider world. World. And so the question we'll be working at this morning is, do you conduct your sex life and your marriage in a way that worships God? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. And I realize this is a, this is a personally and un, unlikely, uncomfortable topic for many in this room. I would just say, you ought to try being the guy preaching about it, okay? <laughs> it's just as uncomfortable for me as it is for you, but listen... We as the church believe God has something to say about the way we conduct our sex lives, right? And we want to hear what He has to say. So let's, let's hear what He has to say this morning. And I want to get at this topic a little different than maybe you've heard, right? We often hear, here's the what. Here's what you need to do. Here's what God wants. But I want to start with the why. Why does God ask us to live sexually pure lives? And so... I want you to do something with me for a few minutes here. I want you to put on your biblical studies hat, and we're going to look at a biblical theology of marriage. I want you to see the thread of this picture of marriage that teaches us about the gospel that runs through the whole Bible, and then I think it becomes quite clear why God cares about how we conduct our sex lives, okay? And so let's take a look at this. So here's the first thing. Let's look at marriage as God instituted it first in the garden, right? We know in Genesis 1 and 2, he recounts for us the creation of the world, 
God creates all the things and all the animals, and then he creates man to work and keep it for God. He is to be God's representative in this great place where God and man are in a relationship. And yet, between God and Adam, they realize he needs a helper, right? And God shows him all the animals, and no one is found to be a great helper to Adam. And so God creates an especially crafted being, woman, to compliment him. And their job before God is to work and keep this garden where, where God meets with them and then to be fruitful and multiply through, through sexual intimacy within their marriage, to spread this garden all over the earth that everyone that is born from them would have a special relationship with God. And the end of that account tells us in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So I want you to see, Genesis gives us the, the foundational aspects of marriage, that marriage was created to be this special covenant relationship between a man and a woman to walk alongside one another before God and carry out the things that he has given them. And that would be worship. And listen, God meant this to be a relational joy, right? He, he created this so that Adam would have a companion to enjoy with the tasks that God had given them. You know, some of the funnest things I've ever done in my life have been with my wife. Right? I've done fun things with some of you dudes out there, I'll admit it. But I've done funner things with my wife. That's because this is how God has designed it to be. She brings me great joy. If you know me, I'm kind of a guy just under halfway full in my cup. And Amy's cup is always overflowing. And so when you put us together, guess what? She raises the level of water in my cup. That's a good thing. God designed it to be this way. God also meant this union of man and woman to bring us joy as we have sex together. God created sex. you got to hear that this morning. He's not against it. He thought it up, and he wants you to enjoy it. In fact, notice right there in Genesis that Adam and Eve have sex in front of God, and they're not ashamed. That's good sex right there. That's worship to God. They're doing what God created them to do. It's reflecting His goodness to them. And married couples should enjoy sex frequently and have fun doing it. That's what God intended it to be. And also marriage we see brings order to society and the world at large. This is why God created it, right? This would be the foundation of the family, right? He gave them the orders to multiply and spread across the earth and that as they had children, that this couple together, what came out of their love and relationship, they would then teach how to follow God and worship of God would grow across the world. So this is the first picture of marriage. It gives us some functional items here. But then God adds spiritual depth to this picture. So look at how God now talks about his covenant of marriage with Israel. So Adam and Eve, they rebel against God. They're kicked out of the garden, and God makes initial promises, and especially to Abraham, that he is going to give uh, through him a son, and, and that all the families of the earth will be blessed, and this family grows into this nation of Israel, and God makes a special covenant with them in Exodus 19 through 24 in the Mosaic 
covenant. In fact, he pledges to be their God and they will be his people if they will join him in this covenant. And what we see is the prophets talk about this covenant as if God has married Israel. Okay, I want you to see this. Ezekiel 16.8, this is God speaking. He basically says, when I saw that you are a young woman, you know, ready and married, marrying age, speaking about Israel, that I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. So he's saying this relationship I have with you, this love I'm showing you, this special love, you're my special object of love, and I have made a covenant with you that it will always be me and you. He's talking about it in terms of marriage. In fact, we know the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, many, many Christians throughout the years and, and Jewish folks before that would not even read the book because it's so explicit in its sexual intimacy. It's talking about the intimacy between Solomon and one of his wives, their courtship, their marriage, their sexual intimacy, and yet every person has said this is also speaking about God's love for us, God's love for his people, pictured as marriage and sexual intimacy. And what we know is that then Israel then rebelled against God in so many ways and preferred the nations and their things And the prophets will say Israel has committed adultery against God in their marriage relationship. Ezekiel 16.32, God calls Israel an adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. In Jeremiah 3.8, speaking of the northern kingdom of Israel, God says, I sent her away with the decree of divorce. So God is basically casting off part of Israel because of their adultery for breaking the covenant, and yet he's faithful to deal with the southern kingdom of Judah. And the prophets are looking forward to the day when God repairs his marriage. He saves this marriage, okay? I want you to see this story of marriage and sex that's growing throughout the whole Bible, Isaiah 54, 5 through 8. He says, For your maker is your husband, The Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called, for the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you. And I will be your redeemer. And then Isaiah 62, 4 and 5 says this. You shall be called my delight is in her. Your land is married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. And your God shall rejoice over you like a bridegroom. Prophets tell us that God is going to save this marriage that he has made between his people. This Like a loving husband, he's working to restore this marriage with Israel after they've committed Adultery. I hope you feel the intensity of this picture, right? This, this is an intense picture that God is painting about our relationship with Him. And by the way, I also want you to see here that God understands the pain of adultery and divorce because it's been committed against Him. His people have committed adultery against him. In fact, God speaks even of our sin. It's like you're committing adultery against me. So you can guarantee that God can relate to you if you've experienced that. And he's also made a way 
to restore and redeem marriages and to restore and redeem our hearts after we've experienced these things. So how's he going to do it? Well, we see in the Gospels that God's redemption of marriage um, is in the gospel. It's really marriage as a picture of the gospel. God sends his son to die, to, to wipe away the bride's sin, to bring them back into this relationship, to make them clean. Right? And it starts with Christ, like a good husband, laying down his life to bring his wife back into relationship with him. Okay? Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 what we see here is that Paul reveals to us that God created marriage and sex to ultimately be a picture of the gospel. This is, he says, this is what's mysterious about marriage. We come together, right, in this special relationship, but it's meant to teach us about what the gospel is. In fact, it says the husband is meant to play the role of Christ and the wife is meant to play the role of the church. That husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, lay it down for them and bring them, woo them back into a loving relationship. And wives are to respond to their husbands when they're shown love and submit to their leadership. And then the Bible looks forward to this. We sang it this morning. That this gospel picture of marriage... It's going to be celebrated for all eternity. Okay, I want you to see this. When we think about heaven, God is inviting us to a marriage and a marriage party. That's what he says. Revelation 21.2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God was with man. And this new Jerusalem is made up of all those that have given their lives to Christ, who have been prepared as a bride to be united forever with Christ. In fact, Revelation 21.9 calls the church the, the, the bride, the wife of the Lamb, that we as the church would be married to Christ forever. Revelation 19, 6 through 8, hallelujah for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So marriage and sex is a story that starts at the beginning of the Bible on page one and runs all the way to the end and on into eternity. God has something to say to us about these things. And by the way, these pictures in Revelation, this is why Jesus can say in Luke 20, 34 through 38, that marriage is passing away, that you won't be married in heaven. You know why? Because you get what marriage was meant to picture. Marriage is meant to picture the gospel, and when you get Jesus, you don't need marriage anymore because you're married to the bridegroom forever. So God created marriage to be, and sex to be a picture of the gospel. And I want you to see that in Hebrews, God is calling Christians to tell that story with the way you conduct your sex life and your marriage. This is the why, okay? That we should honor God in our marriages and stay sexually pure because we believe this gospel story about what God is doing. So the application then becomes easy, right? Will you worship God 
in your sex life and in your marriage by telling his gospel story? And it's really as easy as asking, are the things we're doing, the things we're experiencing, are they, are they outside of this story? Do they tear this story down or do they build this story up? That's what God is asking us to work at. That when we know God's gospel story that he has written into sex and marriage, it becomes clear how we should honor God and worship him in these areas of our life. So in light of this story that God has infused into sex and marriage, it's easy to see why in this verse 13.4 that he would judge immorality and adultery, right? Verse 13.4 again. So let's look at God's passion for his gospel picture here. Hebrews 13.4, he says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so I want you to see, when we rebel against God's plan for marriage and sex, you're actually, you're actually smearing God's story of the gospel. You're, you're, you're putting mud on the story. You're defiling the story. You're saying something that God didn't want to say in these things. You proclaim a different message than God intended when we have different sexualities or promiscuous or adulterous. You're saying things directly against the gospel story that he was trying to say. And it offends God and his holiness. And I think we can get that in our culture, in our offense culture. We can see how God would be offended with the story he has put together and we would go against it. He's offended. He's like an artist that has created this, this beautiful picture and somebody else is coming along and messing it up. You know, it makes me think of, you guys remember when the guy taped the banana to the wall? Now, I don't think that's actually great art, but the guy taped the banana to the wall and you know what happened a couple months later? Somebody came and ate the banana and everybody was pissed, right? It's because they messed up the statement he was trying to make. Or like this, I was reading this book last night. Have you ever read Letters to a Nut by Ted Nancy? It's this guy that writes letters to different companies, and he asks them crazy things, and sometimes they respond. And so he wrote this letter to Coca-Cola and said, I've invented a new product. It's called Kyat Doke, and I'm looking to ship it around the world and and do it. I hope you don't mind. I just wanted to let you know that I'm doing this product, Kyat Doke. And Coca-Cola wrote him back, said, please cease and desist right away, sign these legal forms that you will no longer do this because this smears the name of Diet Coke. And so he writes back and says, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I'll take all 11 bottles off the shelf and bring them to my room, and I took the $700 out of the bank, and I've now actually invested in a new product, Piet Depsy. It doesn't taste like Coke at all, so don't worry. (laughs) But this is the idea. That God has something sacred that when we depart from what he said about it, it smears the story of his love and faithfulness and redemption that he wants to tell to the world. But here's the good news of the gospel, right? And and let's just say this. All of us have smeared this story at parts in our life, okay? All of us are broken sexually. All of us have messed up this story. But the good news of the gospel is that like a loving husband, God has put in place a plan to redeem us, to redeem his adulterous bride and make her pure again. Okay, some of the best verses in the Bible that we have to keep in mind when we think about our sexuality. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So again, God's warning us. You go against his plan, right? It reaps consequences. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Basically saying, if you have sin in your life of any stripe, it's going to keep you from God's kingdom. In verse 11, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Paul's saying, look, sexual sin separates us from God like anything else, and God doesn't like it. And we can all find ourselves in those lists of sins, and yet all of us can be redeemed by the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. Many of us can tell the story. We were deep in sexual sin. We had adultery in our life. We had marred our marriages, all these things. And yet God saved us in Christ, made us clean, and we have a story to tell about His good story of the gospel. And we begin to proclaim that story from then on in your marriage. It says, such were some of you, but now you're clean. That is good news. And as believers, we have the choice of what story we're going to tell of our sex lives and our marriages. The author of Hebrews is calling us to honor marriage and tell the story of the gospel and conduct these things in a way that worships God. So let's talk about this for just a few minutes now. How, how can we honor marriage and proclaim the gospel story and worship God with our sex lives and marriages? And let's start here by saying, how do we do this as single people? Okay, All of us are single at some point in our life, and all of us will end single. And this is important for us to look at, and I think this is the starting point, is that we've got to put sex in its right place, in its right place. The Bible teaches us that our sexuality is actually only one facet of who God created us to be, and the world blows this out of proportion, right? wants us to be this autonomous self-directed individual that wants to self-actualize through our sexual identity. But listen, this is not the end of man. Sex is not the end of man. This is not what you were created for. It's part of what you were created for. Listen, if I made a pie chart of my life, you know how big the slice of sex is on that chart of all the things I do? Not that big, right? Even if you had a great and crazy sex life, right, whatever the world would say that looks like, it's not that big of a slice in the time of your life, right? In fact, we've said on our discipleship wheel that really the end of what God has created man to be is for us to be worshipers, that the risen life is a worshiper of Jesus, that this is your identity. You're created in Christ to be a worshiper of God, and all the things of life come under that, even your sex life, even your marriage. And, and you can think about this. Contrary to popular belief in every movie and TV show that we watch on Netflix, sexual satisfaction is not the number one goal of life. It's just not. And you can practically prove this. So there's been many people that have lived highly successful and fulfilled lives and never once engaged in sex. And so we've got to put our sexuality in the right place. Your sexuality is not your identity. 
as a Christian, your primary identity is to be a follower of Jesus, and this comes under that, and you worship God when you get it in the right place. But single people also earn our marriage by getting involved in God's kingdom work. Listen, the Bible says if you're single, you have a great opportunity to serve God. In fact, better than all of us chumps that are stuck in marriages, right? Because we got other things to worry about, kids and, and bills and how to please our, our spouses. But it says to single people, listen, this is your time. This is your day to serve God. You can serve God in greater ways than those that have all these responsibilities. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35 says, To the unmarried man or woman, you have the freedom to be concerned with the things of the Lord, how to please Him. And Paul says, I wish all of you were like that, because the gospel would advance, right? That you have a great time of life as a single person to live for God. Listen, young people, single adults, I know we got a lot of them over here, use this time to serve God, right? Use this time to do something great for God. I look back on my time as a single person, and I wish I had given myself more to God's things. Several of my friends spent time years overseas in that season being missionaries for the Lord. I can think of our own Josh Stakowitz or Christina Kirtner that have gone out from here to serve God, and they can do it greatly as single people. You ought to do that while you can. God is saying you should do this. In fact, it's hard for us, Josh is feeling this burn, it's hard for us old guys to hang out with youth and college students when we have families. So some of you ought to step in and say, I'm going to serve Jesus and help out with these things in the meantime. So let's look to how God can use us in our singleness. You can also honor marriage as a single person by preparing yourself for marriage. Most people will be married at some point in their life, right? At some point for some amount of time. And so God has called us in our time of singleness, be preparing yourself as a Christian to be the spouse you'd want to marry, right? Seek the Lord, develop a relationship with Him, be sanctified, grow in these things, Follow hard after Jesus and look around who's running with you and then marry that person, right? This is kind of God's plan for marriage. Look hard, run after Jesus, see who else is running beside you, and then say, hey, you know what? How about we do this thing together and chase Jesus together? Those are the best marriages when Christians come together under the lordship of Christ to serve Him because this tells the story that Christ the gospel story that God has infused marriage and sex with throughout the whole Bible. And listen, if you run hard after Jesus and you go through your whole life and you're still single, you haven't lost anything. You have lived a valuable life chasing after God. He will reward you for it. He will remember it. And how much sweeter will that marriage in heaven be when you get there? Because you will get what you have always waited for and you have prepared yourself for the bridegroom that is coming to get you. Part of being a single person, too, and preparing for marriage is to save sex for the marriage relationship. You say, well, that sounds old-fashioned. But I want you to see that this is proclaiming the gospel in our sex lives. This isn't about God not wanting you to have sex. He created it. He likes it. Right? He wants you to enjoy it. But it's about honoring God's story of what He wants to say in the gospel. And your life with your sexual abstinence outside of marriage upholds that there is a special relationship 
that God has created where sex can be enjoyed. And just as the church enjoys some fellowship with Christ on this side of eternity, we can look forward to the day. We wait for the day where we're united to Jesus fully in sin is removed forever, and that relationship is pure joy. And when your life becomes worship to God, you abstain as a single person because you're looking forward to that special day when you are united with your bride, just as the church waits for Christ to come. Again, you're telling the story. And I'll say this, as a single person, find other Christians that will help you stay pure. I can think back to my life as a young man in high school, and I had two really good friends all the way from my childhood all the way through college, and I just call them, I call them every other day even now that help me stay on the right track. They'll say, no, that's not for a Christian. Come on. Keep following God. Keep waiting on God's promises. Keep preparing yourself to be with who God has given you. Now, I get it. We live in an over-sexualized culture. We feel a lot of pressure to be sexy. Some of us are better at that than others to explore our sexuality, and to be engaging in sex. And listen, this is not an unknown feeling in the Bible. God created that drive in you. The drive is not necessarily wrong. We just got to put it in the right place. In 1 Corinthians 7, 2 and 3 and 8 and 9, Paul gives us the answer to that pressure. He says, if you're a single person and you're burning with passion, you've just got to do this sex thing, then guess what? Get married. That's his response. Get married and enjoy the heck out of it. Because he knows it's better for you to be sanctified in marriage than it is to sin outside of marriage and be running contrary to God's story in the gospel. And I'd say that too with, with this caution. Song of Solomon also says this to us as single people and young people. Song of Solomon 8.4, it says, Look, I adjure you, O daughters of Israel, Jerusalem, that you don't awaken or stir up love until it pleases. He's saying, look, this, this love and this sex thing that God has created, it is a powerful thing. In fact, me and Kevin used to say, I can't believe that God gave this to 14-year-olds, right? That they would feel these desires. And he's saying, don't awaken this before it's time. But when it's time, you run hard after it in a marriage, right? So these are deep waters. But as we do these things as single people, we will honor marriage and worship Christ. Let's talk about our marriages just for one second here and then we'll be done. How do we honor marriage as married people? First thing I'd say is enjoy the heck out of your marriage. You know, this story of the gospel looks a lot better and Christ is worshipped when you enjoy your spouse. And how do we, how do, we do that? Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And I'd say the same thing about women finding a good husband. God has given you a good gift, and he's saying, now enjoy the good gift. Don't just leave it on the shelf. Do a deep dive on that person God has given you. Find out everything that makes them tick, right? Find what they like, what they love, what will make them better. Right? And what you'll see is that marriage really is this multiplying effect that it's not A plus B is just AB. It becomes something completely different and becomes C as you begin to grow together. Prioritize time of your spouse to just enjoy them. Set down the other things that distract you from them and find things that you enjoy together. And part of this is 
Enjoy sex in your marriage. God wants you to do that. This honors God. He says it's enjoyable and it's worship to Him. One of the most provocative Proverbs that I've read before, but I just love it. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. This is God speaking through, through Solomon. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated with her love. Right? This is the song, I'm in love with your body, right? We hear that on the radio. God's saying, do that. Be in love with her. And women the same with your husband. Work at enjoying one another and pleasing one another. Right? God has given you the freedom to do this, and it honors him, and you worship him when you do that well. I think also we honor marriage by working at our marriage. Right? We know that marriage doesn't always go well. Listen, all good relationships take work. And based on our, when we are committed to one another in the hard times, we reflect God's story of the gospel to Israel. He was committed to them through thick and thin, and he worked it out with them over 4,000 years. So don't tell me you haven't tried hard enough yet. You got a couple more thousand years to try. Working at our marriages brings honor to God. It brings worship to Him. Listen, if you don't work at your marriage, it will tend towards mediocrity and failure. That's where it always goes. We're broken people. It will go there. And you haven't failed because your marriage needs work. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean you failed. You fail when you don't then begin to put work into it to make it better. And God did this with Israel, right? He wrestled with them for so many years because he wanted to make a statement about his covenant love that he had. In fact, I was reminded by Josh, this Josh Jost, our youth pastor this week, we're talking about this, and he pointed me to the movie Marley and Me, and Owen Wilson's having trouble with Jennifer Aniston, their marriage, and, then, and his buddy's trying to get him to end it, and, and Owen Wilson says, why are you pushing me towards separating, right? Mend it, don't end it, was his statement on marriage. God is honored when we work at saving our marriage because it speaks of his covenant and steadfast love. And God ultimately redeemed his marriage with Israel through Christ, and the good news of the gospel is God can redeem your marriage wherever it is through the power of the gospel. There's no marriage that's too far gone that God can't redeem through the gospel. But here's what it takes. It takes two people that are willing to work at their marriage. It takes two people that are willing to forgive one another the offenses that have been committed against them. It takes two people that will look past the hurts and look towards something better that God can provide in the gospel. And I'll say this, it often starts with one being willing to forgive the other, and God calls us as men to be that one. You are called as men to lay down your lives for your wives so that God can redeem your marriage. As you lay down your life, you lay down your hurts, you extend forgiveness, the bride is called to respond to your love, and this is how we begin to redeem our marriages. So I'd ask you this morning, have you given up on the possibility of your marriage being better? The story of God, what God wants to say in the gospel through sex and marriage is that your marriage can be redeemed and it can be redeemed through the gospel and it honors God when we work at these things. Are you willing to put your hope in the gospel for a better marriage? 
God also calls us here in 13.4 to protect our marriage, right? To keep the marriage bed undefiled. And so we work at this in our marriage to keep sexual intimacy where it's supposed to be between that man and that woman who have committed to one another. Listen, we got to work at ways to find our sexual fulfillment in our marriages. We're kind of like Pavlov's dogs, right? Like if you're feeling a little sexy and you go to pornography or you begin to look outside and you get satisfied there, where are you going to go again? Right outside of your marriage, right, to be satisfied. And so we got to train ourselves with the strength of the gospel. When I'm feeling this way, i got to do the hard work to get that fulfilled with my spouse. This is how I honor God by keeping the marriage bed clean and undefiled. And as I begin to pour my sexual energy into my spouse, then I begin to build a better relationship there. And also I'd say this, build a relationship of accountability with your spouse. One of the best things I think I did in our marriage, and I've done a lot of bad things, but one of the good things I did was I worked early on in our marriage to be really open with Amy about my sexual sin, my sexual struggles. And guess what? That's hard for a wife to take, right? It's hard to learn that your husband or your spouse is not perfect. But as I began to open up with her and you confess sexual sin and sexual thoughts, you know what? That stuff loses power and it looks pretty silly when you confess it to somebody else. In fact, now we've grown to be able to laugh about it together. You know, I was feeling this way today and we just laugh. That's stupid, right? I can do better than that, right? I can help you out with that better. And so I'd say work with your spouse to be as open as you can be about your struggles. And spouses, be gracious to receive it from your spouse because when you do this together, this teaches the gospel that I can confess my sins and I'm extended grace and forgiveness. That preaches the gospel to you too and to the world. This is what we got to do to protect that marriage bed. So let's work at protecting our marriages. Ben, you can come on up. Finally, I think for us as married couples and as parents... We honor marriage when we teach our children about God's plan for sex and marriage. Part of your job as a married couple, if God blesses you with children, is to teach them the same story that God has endowed sex and marriage with, to teach them that story so they can rightly think about these things and begin to proclaim God in their sex life and their marriages so that they can bring God worship as they live this out well. Right? Deuteronomy 6 calls us to do this. We see examples of it in Proverbs 5 and 7 where Solomon teaches his son about sex and what's good and what's right in marriage. And we live a life of worship to God when we do this. And I want to say one other thing here too. This is for everybody. You know, we have marriages in this room that are 50 and 60 years old. Everybody can teach somebody, if you've been married, what you know about marriage how to live out God's story of the gospel in your marriage. Even if you've lost a spouse, you can worship God by teaching about your marriage and what the gospel story that was in it. This is for everybody. Titus 2, 3, and 5 instructs older women to teach younger women to love their husbands and children. In other words, teach them about a good marriage. The same would go for old men. Listen, we got this whole class over here of young married couples, right? Older, older folks, older marriages, they need to hear from you what it looks like to live out a godly marriage. 
and how to display the gospel in their marriage. So Hebrews 13.4 is calling us as believers to conduct our sex lives in marriages in ways that bring worship to God. How are you doing? Are you worshiping God in these areas of your life? God has written a special story, the gospel story right into sex and marriage. And we have the choice to live it out or not. Are you going to do it? Are you going to allow God's story of the gospel to be proclaimed to your life? Listen, none of us will do this perfectly, and that's why God extends us grace and forgiveness. But he's called us as believers to work in. Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to put in the work? Where do you live? need to live in the grace God provides and proclaim the story of his love and grace to the world? And let's do it as we wait for the day that we sung about this morning. That when we arrive at eternity's shore, death is a memory and and sin is no more, tears are no more, we'll enter into our forever marriage with Christ as wedding bells ring and the bride and the groom will come together and we'll sing, you're beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for your word. God, thank you for challenging us even in our sexuality and our marriages. God, may we believe believers that believe the gospel enough to want to live it out in the way we conduct our sex lives and our marriages, God. May, may you be worshipped in this area of our life as we respond to the gospel, God. Lord, for those that have broken marriages, God, I pray that you would speak into their lives and help them with the power of the gospel. For those that are sexually broken, God, I pray that you would wash them clean and bring them healing and they would experience your goodness of grace forgiveness. Lord, wherever we are this morning on this topic, please meet us and help us to walk with you. Thank you for being a good husband that has pursued us for all eternity in Christ. In Christ's name we pray.